On this podcast, we explore fantastical thinking, moral panics, conspiracy theories, and urban legends, examine the forces that shape our culture, and tell the stories that create the realities we share, and sometimes the realities we don't. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and this is American Hysteria. Cal officials say a pyrotechnic device from a gender reveal party sparked the El Dorado fire. A crop dusting plane dropping 350 gallons of pink water. It's a girl. And police say they are continuing with the investigation. And in case you're wondering, by the way, it was a boy. Chelsea Ray Weber was born on August 19, 1988, early on a Friday morning to a 26-year-old mother loudly pleading for the drugs it was too late for her to be given. From the magical divination of the sonogram, she knew she was having a little girl and had originally chosen the daring name Charlie for her daughter. But her friends convinced her that choosing such a masculine name would mark her as ridiculous in the highly gendered 1980s. And so, seeking a more appropriate title, she went with Chelsea after being introduced to a character on the popular soap opera The Guiding Light. But as the years passed, it was becoming obvious that Chelsea was not like the other little girls. Her father noted that she would stop dead in her tracks as she tottered through the toy store, stunned by the violent, hot pink of the Barbie aisle, backing out with her hands in front of her like a frightened cartoon. In a backwards baseball cap, she instead headed to the abandoned lot to turn over wooden pallets, looking for lizards sleeping in the shade and snakes in the tall grass of the field. But still, well-meaning relatives and friends performed our American custom. And thus, the cursed Barbies continued to catwalk their way into Chelsea's room as if to convince her aggressively of something essential she was missing. Always a strange creative, in a moment that would go on to define her gender identity into this present day, she began taking the Barbie clothes and using them to dress up her beloved collection of reptile toys, especially a male alligator, who often wore a pink floral dress, a plastic cowboy hat courtesy of a Toy Story Woody doll, a red purse hanging off of what would have been considered his shoulder, and high heels jammed onto his chaotic, spiky feet. This striking gay alligator came with her everywhere, a constant companion, a symbol of something essential that wouldn't make sense for two decades that, in many ways, still doesn't. Over the last decade, 
We've seen the popularity of the gender reveal party explode, figuratively and literally, as more and more expectant parents get more and more creative, making social media videos that boast millions and millions of views. It's a simple concept, really, a party to reveal the sex of the fetus to the parents, to their community, and of course, to their social media followers. It soon became clear, though, that this trendy celebration had sparked something so deep in the American psyche as to cause wildfires, explosions, injuries, and death. At the same time, we've seen a change in transgender and non-binary visibility, along with the customary gender panic that accompanies each and every step away from the supremacy of the patriarchal binary. Much of America believes that men and women are two entirely separate categories with inherent biological traits and roles based on their genital classification. On the other hand, there's a growing movement that says that biological sex determines nothing about the future of a child and who that child may become. They say gender is a construct, something that we've made over centuries, over millennia, crafted around the rather unorthodox idea of two separate sexes and two genders to match with separate roles, rules, and expressions. Not only are these gender constructs inherited, but they're also altered through each generation, as we'll see today. I, Chelsea Weber-Smith, was that weird reptile girl. I was assigned female at birth. That was my sex, and thus the world saw me as a girl, and then a woman, no matter how boyish I looked. A few years ago, I came out as non-binary, which means I'm one of those people who use they, them pronouns, but you can also use she, her. That's okay with me, but everybody is different. Call me anything you want, in fact. When it comes to my gender, I often have no idea what's going on. It's complicated, confusing, and often, for me, beyond words, and certainly beyond categories. So that's my gender reveal. But back to gender reveal parties. Are they based in retrograde, patriarchal, gender essentialist expressions? Of course. Are these parties an aggressive response to the changing gender norms in American society? Almost certainly. But for this episode, we're going to look at some other angles, too. We'll dive into the surprising baby gender expressions of the last few centuries, the odd divination methods once used for predicting biological sex, and how the wonderful, terrifying mystery of pregnancy has always driven us to create rituals, to try to divine something anything about the great mystery of our child's unknowable future. All right, boys and girls and everybody else, let's go.
it all started innocently enough, back in 2008, when a mommy blogger named Jenna Carvanitas cut into a cake filled with, surprise, pink frosting, and filmed it all for her fans. At the time, Jenna was simply announcing the sex of her future baby, Bianca. But the video went viral, super duper viral, and soon other parents, both influencers and regular folks alike, were posting their own gender reveals on Pinterest, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. These parties have the same basic formula, but each one has its own individual flair. It all goes like this. A person close to the parents, sometimes called the gender guardian, receives the fetal information and then is responsible for the preparations of the reveal. Sometimes the attendees place bets. Sometimes they take teams, team pink or team blue, and play games to try to divine what kind of future they can expect out of this floating mass of cells. And these are real. Guns or glitter, pistols or pearls, badges or bows, wheels or heels, and rifles or ruffles. The reveal itself is the climax of the party and typically uses color as the means of revelation. Following an excited countdown, the gender guardian cues the surprise, sometimes opening a giant box of colored balloons or popping a balloon full of confetti, sometimes ushering in adorable assaults of pink or blue silly string, lighting off pink or blue smoke bombs, and my honest favorite, by doing sick burnouts that pop a bag full of colored smoke that then spins around the wheels and it looks really cool. The crowd cheers, they celebrate gleefully, they praise their own psychic powers or laugh off their mispredictions, and some favorites show disappointed siblings just losing their shit. Pretty standard stuff. But egged on by the ever-expanding attention economy of social media that rewards sensational behavior, these parties have grown more and more extreme. In April of 2017, the sawmill fire that burned 46,000 acres of Arizona was sparked by a Border Patrol agent named Dennis Dickey, who shot an explosive with a rifle that burst into a huge plume of blue smoke. And instantly, the surrounding area, just the driest grass you have ever seen, bursts into flames, and then, in my mind, I imagine the dude does a cartoon collar tug, like, ooh, and then dips. Start packing up! Huh? Start packing up! No! Dennis Dickey would be put on five years of probation and is currently paying back $8 million in damages to the state. In March of 2018, a Louisiana man going by the name of T. Mike the Gator King and his crew racked up millions of views when, after wrestling with an alligator named Sally, a watermelon filled with jello was tossed into the alligator's mouth, one that burst quickly in her hauntingly primitive maw, spraying the blue goo to a chorus of cheers. 
Mike the Gator King would later explain his stunt to the Huffington Post, and I felt I just needed to include this. Quote, what better way to do it than having an alligator that is 61 years old that my grandfather hatched in 1957? Indeed. And then in September of 2019, a crop duster crashed down from the sky, one that was supposed to drop 350 gallons of water, colored either pink or blue, into the field below. Luckily, only minor injuries occurred. The next month in Iowa, however, a future grandmother was killed by debris from a homemade gender reveal explosive. Another wildfire was sparked in September of 2020 by a party pyrotechnic, one that would cause major evacuations, destroy homes, burn thousands of acres, and even kill a firefighter. In February of 2021, in Liberty, New York, a father-to-be was killed and his younger brother injured when they were making a gender reveal explosive at home. Most recently, in April of 2021, 80 pounds of tannerite, a serious explosive, were detonated in a New Hampshire quarry, causing damages to local buildings and leading the town to actually believe an earthquake had occurred. At this point, it seems we must ask the question, what the fuck is going on? More after this. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never frozen, ready to eat gourmet meals that are chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American and Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And now, back to the show. Okay, so let's go back. 
As we all know very well, color, probably more than anything else, signals to others the decided gender of an infant. But color defining the difference in a baby's sex and gender is a very new phenomenon. In fact, so is differentiating at all between what little girls and little boys wear. A great example I encourage you to look up is Franklin Roosevelt's hilarious 1884 baby picture. In it, he has long blonde locks, wears a long white dress with white little frilly socks, shiny dainty black strapped shoes, and he holds a frilly white hat complete with a marabou feather. At two and a half, little Franklin's biological sex is not really discernible from what he's wearing in the picture, and that was totally normal. For centuries before the mid-1900s, gender-neutral clothing was the standard for infants in Anglo-Saxon culture up until the age of six or seven, a practicality more than anything else. White cloth diapers and white dresses were easy to bleach and easier to change. But slowly, as the Industrial Revolution produced industries of individuality selling us personal expression, they discovered that there was lots of money in baby expression in these gendered baby outfits. But those outfits might be a little different than you'd assume. This is well illustrated in a June 1918 article from Earnshaw's Infants Department that read, The generally accepted rule is pink for the boys and blue for the girls. The reason is that pink, being a more decided and stronger color, is more suitable for the boy, while blue, which is more delicate and dainty, is prettier for the girl. Color was also used more as a complement to eye and hair color. Pink for brunettes, blue for blondes, blue for blue eyes, pink for brown eyes. The culture waffled between these colors, pink and blue, and what they meant. And obviously it could have easily gone the other way. Still, in 1927, a chart was printed in Time magazine, dictated by several popular U.S. clothing companies, about the appropriate colors for babies based on their gender, with pink most often suggested for boys. Due to the post-World War II affluence of the late 1940s, 50s, and early 60s, the suburbs expanded all over the nation, and the Cold War capitalistic nuclear family structure became tantamount to being a patriotic American and fighting off the liberal, gay, commie agenda. The specter of homosexuality and gender confusion was also suddenly thrust into public consciousness with the 1950 Red Scare that purged 425 suspected gay men and lesbians from government and teaching jobs under the accusation that they could easily be manipulated by communist cells due to the collateral of this dark secret. Senator McCarthy said he had found 205 communists in the State Department. Among the many charges was one that the State Department had many homosexuals in its employ. Are you a member of the communist conspiracy as of this moment? 
As psychotherapists became obsessed with diagnosing, preventing, and curing problems with sexuality in what was then called cross-dressing or transvestism, gender signifiers became extremely important in spotting these psychological problems early and allowing parents and doctors to intervene. And so, politicians began using the same symptoms to diagnose possible gay traitors, sending investigators to scour government and educational employees for signs such as being unmarried, having a too feminine or masculine voice or mannerisms, or for wearing suspiciously queer articles of clothing. Eventually, this second red scare would be coined the Lavender Scare by historian David K. Johnson, in reference to the derogatory nickname given to gay men at the time by tabloids and politicians, the Lavender Lads. While all of this was going on in the background through the 50s and the first half of the 1960s, the culture began to pressure families so that little girls began dressing like their moms and boys like their father, a little baby-faced army of gender defenders. But beginning in the mid-1960s, the feminist women's libbers promoted the idea that feminine clothing was indicative of patriarchal control and that dressing in gender-neutral clothing was an expression of power previously denied. The feminist trend caught on beyond politics, and gender-neutral baby clothes became commonplace again in American culture, with the all-powerful Sears catalog not offering any pink baby clothes for two whole years. Not long after, the mystical sonogram began providing huge revelations for expectant parents. Before this medical device became commonplace, no one saw their future infant, not a glimpse, except maybe that alien result of their limbs bulging against the belly from inside. It wouldn't be until the moment that baby slid into the harsh light of the world that anyone would have known their sex. And so, no one could really assume or divine what sort of life they would have ahead of them. But it was the 80s now, and the Reagan administration wanted to make America great by returning to the Christian nuclear family culture of the 1950s. Then, along with the televangelist-led moral majority, they both began pushing back hard against the feminist, queer, and black liberation gains of the previous decade, and of course against the evil, satanic homosexuals and transvestites that were allegedly hypnotizing and molesting children into their lifestyle. And so, baby clothes got even more gendered, more gendered than ever before, frantically gendered, as if they were talismans to ward off some kind of invisible evil. Onesies were patterned with teddy bears playing football, or lined with pink fringe and dotted with strawberries. Toys separated by gender, dark blue Tonka trucks and loud gray guns and bright pink miniature kitchens and all those searing Barbie dolls, blue or pink disposable diapers that will live on for centuries after we have all turned to dust. 
boys will be boys. Girls will be girls, even when they wet their diapers. Corporate manipulation and the commodity of identity were winning again with this commodification of baby gender. And companies were making millions, billions, as they still do today. Mega party chain Party City is now selling more than a million gender reveal items each year. Now, 3D ultrasounds are all the rage, something that doctors tend to avoid unless there's a specific issue with the fetus. But you know who is not bound by such medical advice? Random ass people who've made ultrasound studios, companies with names like Babyface, Peek in the Pod, and Baby on Board, who attempt to capture a smile from the fetus. Is the face turned away from the camera? No problem. Just give that mom some candy and have her walk around the room until the fetus moves into a flattering, camera-ready position, a shot that will often become their very first photo on social media, coming before they are even born. Up to 15 people can come and watch this moment in tears and celebration, and of course, each can leave with all kinds of fantastic personalized merch, including teddy bears that play the fetal heartbeat and lifelike dolls of the fetus. The ultrasound image often appears on people's baby shower invitation, or on people's cakes, or on army-like dog tags for the men. Just a bunch of modern American talismans connected to a ritual. Human beings have always been obsessed with the mysterious, mystical, hidden fetus and all the possible futures. A 3,500-year-old medical text from Egypt details one such method of figuring out the sex of the fetus. Just have the expectant mother urinate into a big bag of barley and then also a big bag of wheat. The barley represents the possibility of a male infant and the wheat a female. Whichever sprouts first determines what the sex will be. This type of divination would carry into the European Middle Ages when community psychics called, get ready, piss prophets would divine biological sex by an examination of the color or even taste of the urine, mixing it with wine to see how it interacted, by burning a ribbon soaked in urine to see if the woman gagged at the smell. Piss prophets would most often read the bubbles after the mother peed in their special ritual bowl. It all sounds like quackery, and of course it is, but interestingly, back on that wheat and barley tip, a study from the National Institutes of Health in 1963 showed that urine from pregnant women did indeed cause sprouts in 70% of the cases, while urine from non-pregnant females and males did not show any sprouts, possibly due to the higher levels of estrogen present, but no one really knows. The sex of the fetus, however, was not able to be determined. More after this. And now, back to the show. 
Old wives' tales still make their rounds in American culture, and I bet you've heard some of them or had your grandmother swear it's true. Crave sweets or garlic? It's a girl. Gotta shine about ya? Boy. Dilated pupils? Boy. Carrying your pregnancy high? Girl. Carrying it low? Boy. Our modern form of divination that most closely relates to the work of a piss prophet would have to be the Drano test urban legend. First thing in the morning, just mix up some of mother's urine with one of the scariest cleaning products of all time. And if it turns green, it's a girl. Blue, it's a boy. Don't do this. You are the warriors on the frontiers defending American freedom. We meet tonight at a crucial moment in our nation's history. Our shared values are under assault like never before. Extreme left-wing radicals, both inside and outside government, are determined to shred our Constitution and eradicate the beliefs we all cherish. Since the rise of Trumpism and all of its accoutrements, we've seen a serious drive to reinstate the supremacy of the straight cis white nuclear family, just like the highly gendered 1980s and the 50s that they tried to emulate. We've seen a new fervent dedication to the binary of gender based solely on genital classification at birth. At the same time, we're in the middle of a gender revolution, baby. People are fighting for changes, changes that go against the previous generation's ideas of sex and gender. So of course, we're also seeing the intense backlash against transgender and non-binary people and children, Questions about whether or not we're real, legitimate, insane, or just figments of Satan's twisted, unhinged fever dream. Which again, on that last one, we are. And I know that all of this gets complicated and confusing for the older generations. But I think it's important to remember that it's not like we're really saying or doing or being anything new. As we covered in our Gay Agenda episode, prior to European colonization in what is now called America, many tribal communities had very different views on gender and sexuality, with third, fourth, and fifth gender categories being common, with children allowed to participate in activities based on their talents and preferences. It wasn't until the systemic genocide of indigenous populations that gender on this land became strictly and violently and explicitly enforced. In addition, gender variance has been seen across time and culture all over the world, even in animals. And one could say that it's actually weirder to have two categories of people based solely on their genitals. So this is not something that us wacky millennials and Gen Z weirdos are just inventing. It's something that's finally being revealed again after 500 years of the straight cis agenda. And now kids and teenagers of the LGBTQIA community are plagued by high rates of suicide and self-harm. 
five times more likely to attempt suicide than their cisgendered counterparts. A 2009 study has shown that rejection of gender identity and sexuality has a massive impact on the mental health of youth and the adults they become, who were found to be 8.4 times more likely to report having attempted suicide and 5.9 times more likely to report high levels of depression. Like many queer people, I spent years trying to divine my future, trying to figure out how in the world I was going to make it through. But I did make it through, and I do, and I will. Interestingly, our patron saint of the gender reveal party, mommy blogger Jenna Carvanitas, has actually written off the Frankenstein monster she created, quote, When I first saw that a gender reveal party had caused a forest fire, I cried because I felt responsible. But there's a reason for her speaking out beyond the gender carnage. Eleven years after that cake went viral, that very pink frosting female fetus is sporting traditionally masculine suits with short hair, existing very much in the middle of the two gender cultures America has long enforced. As more and more shit is shot and exploded and burned, one does have to wonder if these gender guardians are guarding more than a wonderful surprise. Our little gender defenders. But also, just like how psychics would divine the sex of the fetus through divination practices, so too do we try to divine the future of our child. And whether we like it or not, in our culture, the sex of the child and the gender performance we have created for that sex gives us perhaps the most possible information about what their life will be like. For the first time in colonized history, we're just beginning to understand on a bigger scale that gender and sex at birth are two different things. That what we use to signal who we are to each other are all things we made up. Pink was once used for boys, after all. We made it all up, and it changes with each generation. And so, with this in mind, there are new efforts to reimagine the oppressive and made-up line that has long separated the genders, the line that continues to hurt cis women and men too, in different but also seriously destructive ways. If gender variance could be normalized, it could aid us all in undoing the harm of our inherited culture for everyone. It could make us all just a little bit freer, healthier, more prepared to engage with our various communities productively and honestly. It's a lovely dream. But this massive change in the imagining of American gender is going to take some real time and some real understanding from all of us. It's big. It's so, so big. I'm 
not really a big fan of the gender reveal party, as you might have guessed. But I can also understand why people who do not yet understand the nuances of what gender means now in 2021 still want to celebrate the moment that their child becomes real to them, to share that mystic revelation with the people they care about, and, since they can, the very world at large. But when you think of it that way, it's heavy, isn't it? That this discovery is the point at which we each become real. We come out of that womb with an entire mythology crafted around us before we get a chance to cry our very first desperate hello, let alone discover the myriad of contradictory things that we love so much. Regardless of the regressive nature of gender reveal parties, people are trying to prepare the right world for their baby with the limited information they have, trying to figure out the safest way to raise a very precious thing in a deeply complicated world. But of course, at the same time, consciously or unconsciously, Parties like these are also rituals that pay homage to the gods of American tradition, traditions that serve very few of us, but are ingrained into everything we think, feel, and do. Very young kids in those videos lose their shit when they find out that their future siblings' sex is different from what they were hoping for. These kids already had an entire mythology of their own crafted around their new sibling, based entirely on the gender binary. Now, beyond becoming the truest version of myself, I'm also doing you all a fucking favor, because if I still had to try to perform as some kind of American woman, I'd feel like and I'd look like an alligator in a Barbie dress, high heels jammed on my reptile feet. Because I essentially hitchhiked out of that womb a scrappy boy-girl super hybrid, Charlie or Chelsea, who knows. What I do know is no one expected me. And I bet in some way or another, no one expected you. How could they? Unfortunately, we can divine very little about the future of our children. I'm not a parent, but I can imagine the deep, burning desire for control over the life of your most beloved thing, and I can imagine the anxiety of their uncertain future. We are each uncertain about our own futures too, still, no matter how old we are. There may be a growing number of words and categories, of identities, of genders, sometimes I can't even keep up. But I think something valuable, something beautiful, can get lost in our burning desire to understand exactly who we are completely. The magic is that we will always remain ongoing mysteries even to ourselves, deep treasure troves full of skeletons and gold. 
We each defy categorization, and that is so important to remember as we try to figure out ourselves and each other. There are a thousand words I could use to try to tell you who I am, what I need, who I love, what I believe, but they all fall painfully short, just as we fall painfully short when we try to see each other, to understand each other, to share a moment in time the way we'd really like to. New mysteries appear to us every day. There is so very much inside you, so very much to reveal. This was American Hysteria. We've got some fun stuff coming up for you guys, one more Pride episode coming in a couple weeks, and then some more surprises next month. In the meantime, consider becoming a patron of our show. Just go to patreon.com slash American Hysteria. You'll get an extra podcast called Walk With Me, where you go on walks and listen to me get all metaphysical. But we also have some super sick Patreon content coming this summer. I'm not going to tell you too much about it right now, so stay tuned. But I'll leave you with this. American Road Trip. That's patreon.com slash American Hysteria. Or just click the link in our show notes. Follow us on Instagram at American Hysteria Podcast or on Twitter at Amer Hysteria. American Hysteria is written, produced, and hosted by me, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Co-researched by Riley Smith. Co-produced by Miranda Zickler. With voice acting by Will Rogers. Thanks, as always, for listening and... Best of luck to us all as we climb out of this pandemic swamp and crawl into the party dress of pride and pretend like we know how to interact with other people. Everything's normal, guys. We're totally fine. See you out there. Happy Pride. Have a great month.